As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, the emails are always there as well, Cork Today at c103.ie. Now, I will be in a little while uh, speaking with West Cork Doll Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan, because Christopher O'Sullivan it was, is a member of the Oireachtas Media Committee. So he was there yesterday when the seven members of RTE came before the Oireachtas Committee meeting and answered a number of questions. But, you know, I watched it. It was four and a half hours uh, yesterday. And, you know, while little bits came out that we didn't know, you know, particularly, for example, the fact that uh, D Forbes had actually been asked by the board uh, to resign. We didn't know about that. We thought that D Forbes had just decided to resign herself uh, last Monday. Was it only Monday uh, she resigned? It turned out she had been asked by the board. But, of course, there was criticism then of the board for asking her to resign because if she had been left in place she still would be the DG, even though she would be due to retire in a couple of weeks' time. But at least then there might have been some chance of the Oireachtas Media Committee or maybe the PAC getting her before the committee, even though, I mean, I don't know, she's put in a sick search to say she's unwell and not able to attend. But without Dee Forbes there yesterday, um, it really was, as, as somebody said, um, it's... Um, it's, it's as if Hamlet hasn't turned up uh, for the play. Somebody else I saw was saying that it's a little bit like um, the, they've turned up for a play and they've all forgotten to learn their lines because there was so much shaking their heads. I don't know that. I wasn't there for that. So there was, And then there seemed to be a lot of confusion. I mean, even Neve Smith, the chair of the committee at the end, you know, describing the whole thing at times as bizarre. You know, and she made the point that the left hand doesn't seem to know what the right hand is doing. And, you know, they would be asked some of the executives would say, no, I don't know. I don't think so. And then others would say, oh, yeah, it is. And particularly when it came to Patrick Keelty, who's going to be taking over as the he's replacing Ryan Tuberty for the host of the Late Late Show from next September. And there seemed to be confusion among the executives as to whether that deal was done or not. And now it turns out that deal is done. And of course, there was a big push yesterday for how much is Patrick Keelty getting? And they said they couldn't reveal. They need to chat with Patrick Keelty. Subsequently, seemed that Patrick Keelty has come out and he said, yeah, he's happy out to say uh, how much he's getting. It has to go before one more committee within the within RT on Friday before it gets finally sanctioned. But they have all signed on the dotted line. So we'll wait to see how much did uh, Patrick Keelty get. And one wonders, did Patrick Keelty, and I've just checked on Noel Kelly's 
website to see was he representing Patrick Keelty but it doesn't look like he is representing Patrick Keelty because the one thing that really came out from the Oireachtas meeting yesterday was the power which Ryan Tuberty's agent Noel Kelly seems to wield within the industry and again another bizarre point I felt was when the executives of RTE were being asked how how much of your talent how many of the people on RTE use Noel Kelly as their agent and none of them could say I mean at one stage somebody said four and a straight away said it is way more than four uh, and it was going over and back where people say oh no we'll check we'll find out for you no we don't know and I was thinking why doesn't somebody straight away Google uh, NK management Noel Kelly management and by doing that it straight away pops up the male and and there's a separate list for the male, his male talent and his female talent uh, and within RTE I mean straight away on the, the top three uh, of the the top out of the top five, four of the top five work in RTE: Ryan Tuberty, Dave Fanning, Joe Duffy, and Donico Callan. Pat Kenny's in there, but of course he's not uh, working anymore with uh, RTE. But you go down through the list, and you can see lots and lots of faces that you will know from RTE, like Dermot Bannon is there, Carl Henry is there, Dr. David Coleman is there, uh, Baz is there. You know, there's lots and lots of you know, well-known, what I would consider RTE faces. And then even under the female uh, list, again, lots of uh, well-known talent uh, for, uh, under the female, Claire Byrne is there, Katrina Perry, Doreen Geraghty, Catherine Thomas is there. Um, Who else is with RTE? Cliffis Patrick is with RTE. Um, oh, Nancy's there. Baz, Ash, Baz, Baz's mum, Nancy, is there as well. People like Tracy Pickett. So the list goes on. But it would have been very, they didn't have to question them so much about that. As I say, all somebody had to do was Google. Anyway, there was a lot of confusion came out from uh, yesterday. So we'll talk about it in more detail with uh, Christopher O'Sullivan. But your thoughts welcomed uh, if you were like me and sat down and watched it. It was like watching a very long movie for four and a half hours. And we have it all again today with the PAC. I don't know if the PAC have any other questions that they could ask that wasn't asked yesterday that would shed any more light because it just all seems to be the finger of blame is very much being pointed back at D Forbes and very much back on how tough the negotiations were with Ryan Tuberty's agent Noel uh, Kelly. 0818 103 103 and if you open the newspapers today pages and pages and pages again of column inches about this particular saga and about what happened at the Oireachtas uh, committee meeting and then in the midst of all of the papers and this kind of this kind of got got it for me. We were there watching and discussing a very overpaid man uh, who does a bit of television and a bit of radio. And we're talking about other people who are so overpaid in their jobs. As somebody pointed out yesterday, Ryan Tuberty earned double what the Taoiseach, a man who's running this country, uh, earns. Uh, and you think about other things that are going on the, in this country that we need investment in. And it's, we certainly don't need investment in talent on radio and television. We need investment in things like hospitals. Because there is a story in all of the papers today of a young teenage girl who was forced to wait five years for surgery for scoliosis. And it got so bad that she couldn't breathe at times. And this was the fact that by making this young teenage girl wait, her spinal curvature deteriorated from 30 
to 135 degrees. So when it was at 30 degrees, it was deemed this young girl needs to have spinal surgery. By the time she got the surgery, it was at 135 degrees. Now, the case has been taken up by the Ombudsman for uh, Children who did an investigation into the case of a 17-year-old who, for reporting, is just known as Ivy. And it describes the physical and the mental toll that the delay at Temple Street Hospital took on young Ivy. The girl who has cerebral palsy wasn't able to go out and meet her friends. She wasn't able to go to school and she admitted at times she was she found it very, very difficult to simply breathe because the curvature of her spine had worsened. Now when she eventually had her survey her surgery, that was in 2021. Her pain was significantly reduced and her quality of life thankfully has improved. So the Ombudsman said that the administrative actions of Children's Health Ireland, they oversee the children's hospitals. Uh, The Ombudsman said that that had a negative impact on young Ivy's uh, life. He's called on Children's Health Ireland to carry out an audit for the waiting time for children's scoliosis care and to allow for the patient or their family, their caregiver or a GP to initiate a review of their own care. Commenting on the report into Ivy's case, the office's director said Ivy's story shows the devastating consequences that waiting for this life-changing survey can have on a child. When Ivy and her family came to the Ombudsman after previously raising their concerns a number of times with their GP, a number of times with their consultant and with Children's Health Ireland the Ombudsman said it was clear the whole family had suffered significant distress and uh, anguish. The Ombudsman pointed out that poor communication with Ivy and her family about her care played a role. Uh, They said a key issue that they raised is that professionals must pay attention to parents, to children and indeed to GPs when any of them contact a hospital to say that a child's condition is worsening because on paper Ivy's file was inside the hospital somewhere. Well, obviously it was in Temple Street Children's Hospital. But while her condition was deteriorating. Her family were trying to get that message through but obviously nobody was picking up on it and nobody was communicating with the family to find out just how bad Ivy was and can you imagine not being able to breathe and for her parents to have to watch her in that condition. It really is shocking. And of course Ivy's case uh, is not the only case. The Ombudsman said they're publishing the case on behalf of 309 other children and their families who up to May of this year were also waiting on scoliosis treatment. Now, uh, Children's Health Ireland have obviously uh, come, they've obviously come out and said that they accept the the report and they're now going to meet the family, which is a bit late. She's had the operation. Uh, But they were saying that in light of the report, they claim that actions have been progressed. And then they point to the fact that 29 patients at Children's Health Ireland in uh, Temple Street are awaiting spinal uh, surgery and they've been in direct contact with the 29 patients and their families about their treatment plans. But that's 29 out of a total of 309. There's still a lot of families working. They say they're working to improve capacity through the implementation of the scoliosis and spina bifida action plan. They say further developments this year will include additional bed treatment capacity and they say that will significantly improve progress in waiting time uh, targets because we always seem to have had an issue 
with scoliosis patients. I mean, over the years, I would have interviewed lots and lots of uh, families who had to go public to try to highlight the fact that their child was urgently in need of this spinal uh, surgery. Uh, but this young uh, girl, Ivy, I mean, deteriorated to, to such a point that she jumped. She couldn't go to school anymore. But to think of her not being able to breathe really is frightening. But some of your thoughts coming in on the Aractus Media Committee yesterday with uh, members of the board of RTE. Michael says, Patricia, yesterday's much sought meeting with the RTE elite was much as predicted with multiple mistruths. Very briefly, the upshot of yesterday's performance was that RTE raped the taxpayers of this country and are still intent on doing so. Personally, I think that Patrick Keelty should now withdraw from the controversial Late Late Show and it should be totally scrapped. Replace it with a completely new show, either on Friday or Saturday nights with new faces. We have an abundance of young talent in this country. We deserve better than the rubbish we're getting. Kind regards. That's from uh, Michael. Hi, Patricia. It was a farce yesterday. Everybody looking out for their own grossly overpaid jobs. D Forbes needs to come out of hiding and stop with the old chestnut of the sick note. It is nonsense. John and Cove says we keep hearing the word they earn. The fire service, the paramedics, they earn money. But do RTE presenters really earn money? They make it. Earn makes them sound like they're total stars, says John. Irene in Dunmanway says the way the board reacted, spoke to TDs, uh, what, I, what she heard of the Oireachtas uh, yesterday, the board of RTE kept using the word talent. I really thought to myself, this crowd, uh, I think they, uh, they think they're above everyone else. That needs to stop. Tommy Abandon says the arrogance of the board yesterday, thinking they're better than everyone else. Disgraceful carry on. Pat Infamoy says, I do believe we're gone over the top reporting on this. Yes, we do need to know what is going on. But I think there's a lot more important things happening in this country that people should be talking about. The press have gone mad on this, but they would be. It's in their backyard. There are workers laid off in Tara Mines. Yes, we have pages and pages today uh, in all of the papers on RTE. And John says, Patricia, the final nail for Ryan Tuberty was the big protest by staff at RTE. The staff are so angry, not only in Dublin, but there was also protests and pickets in Limerick and in Cork when the employee. In the, when the other employees speak like this, it definitely sounds like it's over for him. Yeah, I've heard people say who would he work, who would work with him would be a uh, problem. And says, morning, Patricia, to clear up this RTE mess, the government need to make the hard decision to fire all of the executive board, bring in new people who will stop the stay silent culture that seems to be within the top level of RTE. That's from Anne. And then Anne with an E says, Patricia, I watched the committee meeting like yourself yesterday. The RTE people were absolutely roasted by the politicians and rightly so. In my opinion, Ryan Tuberty should give the extra money he was paid to the Late Late Show toy show appeal and then it would be divided up between children's charities. That's not a bad idea. And with an E, thank you for that. Someone else says, Patricia, mark my words, this is only the start. 
Ryan was unlikely, uh, it was unlucky to be the first under scrutiny. Well, if you can believe the executive of the board, they say there's nobody else, but I suppose only time uh, will t- tell. And one final one in this batch. God rest Kay Byrne. I bet he didn't have Ryan Tuberty's wages. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, as I've already mentioned yesterday, members of the RT board and executive attended the media joint Oireachtas committee to answer questions about this, the ongoing fallout of Ryan Tubry's extra undeclared wages, which were revealed this day last week. West Cork Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan is a member of the media committee and he joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Christopher. Hey, Patricia. Uh, and I have to say, it's hard to believe that it was only this day last week that this story started to unfold. I was just saying to John Paul before we came on air this morning, I can't get over and I don't remember an issue where there is this level of anger by members of the public every day since we've started mentioning this. And I can see it again. The phone lines are lighting up, the text messages, the WhatsApps, the emails. People are really cross about this. And I'm assuming you're hearing it as well from your constituents. Yeah, and you know, usually before I come on on air with you, Patricia, I, I make a few points. I jot down two or three points that I, I that I want to get across, but I I don't know where to start with this. This is this has been the most extraordinary saga. The Oireachtas committee yesterday. You talk about the level of interest in it. The the Oireachtas TV website crashed at the level of people looking to tune in. Obviously, it was also broadcast on the live on the on the RT news channel. But the level of interest in this has been extraordinary, and I think it's down to that what you've just pointed out there, the anger, the disgust uh, amongst mem- members of the public, um, uh, amongst TV license holders who pay €160, Euro, uh, which is fairly saucy for your TV license for, per year, and then to find out that this money was being used to underwrite or guarantee a payment from um, a third party. And the analogy I, I give, um, it may not be helpful, but I think it, it, it kind of, this is what really underlines for me. If you imagine a, a minister, if you bring it into the political sphere, because we're we're always absolutely uh, audited, we're, we're analysed, and that's fair enough because we're in the public eye. But if you imagine a ministerial position, for example, took um, uh, some type of a commercial deal, uh, you know, their, their, their wages are published, their salary and expenses are published, but then they do a deal, for example, with a third party like Renault, um, and then, you know, they, they don't, I suppose, perform uh, parts of that deal and they don't, uh, the, the events don't happen. Um, the Renault pull out and then, you know, the state comes along and says, do you know what, uh, guys, we're going to cover that anyway. We're going to pay it. We're going to use this barter account uh, to, to, to cover that payment and everything will be hunky-dory. And then expect that no questions are going to be asked. That's really, I think, a big part of the element of what's angering people. And then there's the whole kind of, uh, cover-up part that that you know they didn't disclose it um and i think uh, well the fact that you know the, mr toberty isn't going to get away scot-free out of this as well he would have known that what was declared in the public was short of what he actually got paid i think that's angering people and interesting exchange yesterday in, in the um committee with uh, senator michal uh, carrigy uh, and i'm not sure if a lot of west Coast listeners will be aware of of um um that senator but he's a, also a postmaster and he was approached by someone yesterday who was going to pay his tv license and, and the comment was 
funny but also it kind of underlines the issue you know who should i make this out to should i make it out to mr tuberty or to Renault? that's really that's great and people yeah know? yeah yeah and the fact that um like you knew before you went in uh, yesterday that d forbes wasn't going to be attending uh due to uh, health reasons uh, and and yet again as we predicted was going to happen the finger of blame has been pointed at d forbes is there any point having anybody in if d forbes isn't going to be sitting in front of you there is. I, I, I think there was yesterday's media committee. I think what it achieved to do was start to prize open gaps and holes in the story of the other uh, members of the uh, executive board, which I think we should see the public accounts committee fo- hone in and focus in on those issues and get more information. Because clearly, I mean, it is completely unbelievable and not credible that the only person who knew everything or who who knew who was aware of what was going on was the former Director General at D. Forbes. Obviously, um, former Director Director General has to be held to account, Is clear has, has apologised and is clearly a, a huge part of what has gone down here and, and we can't get away from that. But it seems very convenient that the um, acting interim uh, Director General, Adrian Lynch, comes up with a statement the day before yesterday. Essentially, I'm going to say it like it is, throwing the, the Director General under the bus. And also, the, the only people that they firmly implicated in any wrongdoing was the Director General, the former CFO, who's no longer uh, on the executive board, um, and the, 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 the former head of, of legal as well, no longer on the, ex- on, on the executive board. So it's, it, was, it, was, it was what struck me straight away. It was like, this is a blatant effort to say, we did nothing wrong here. We might have known bits and pieces. There was a, a certain level of knowledge. But there's no way we could have known what was going on. I think that was being exposed yesterday. And in, in my line of questioning to the, the head of commercial, who's um, Geraldine O'Leary. Okay, first of all, she was aware that the invoices, these two €75,000 invoices were for Ryan Tuberty. Okay, so that was that was number one. She but Ryan Tuberty's name wasn't on them. Ryan Tuberty's name wasn't on them, but she was aware they were raised for a payment for Ryan yeah. Tuberty. And this is this is the key for me and, and something I'd like to see people hone, on, hone in on. Um, the... The term consultancy fees was on those invoices, okay? So surely someone within her office said, so, okay, this is for Ryan Tuberty, and it says consultancy fees. What, you know, Ryan Tuberty is a well-known presenter. He's a TV presenter. He doesn't, he's, he's, he, there's no consultation involved in the line of work he does. Surely that should have raised a flat red flag with someone. And again, it was deflection. It, it, it was throwing other people under the bus. And she, she, in her answer to me, she said, someone in my office yeah. uh, would have seen that. In my office, I mean, that's not good enough. You're, you're head of, of commercial. The CFO, the chief financial officer was doing the same thing. You know, nothing to see here. I took comfort from what the director general uh, was saying. Where is the oversight there? Where is the... The, the the asking of questions, the whole, I, I really think it exposed uh, a lack of corporate governance, a lack of questioning. The, the culture within RT and the top brass in the RT is, is rotten to the core. There was an effort to throw the director general under on, on the bus. Nobody's buying it, and I think that's yeah, what the public and and, and, will, and I think as well is. what it, what is what is coming out and what is causing uh, anger amongst the general public, and certainly causing anger amongst the ordinary staff of RTE, mm. are these inflated wages that the the top ten are get. I mean, and to hear the new chair said that sometimes RTE is bidding itself is bidding against itself because we don't have a market. I mean, Ryan Tuberty was getting half a million euro. There isn't any other radio station around the country that could have been paying him a half a million euro. Yeah, and, and where was he going to go was the other question, yeah. Patricia. Do, do, are we really to, to believe that you know, the BBC or a Wash with Talent 
that are paid less in, in many instances, many of the top talented RT. Um, you know, are we really to believe that, you know, uh, Ryan Torrey and his agent uh, were holding tough because th- there were some other offers coming in t- to match the 400,000, 500,000 figure that we're talking about? Not a hope. Not a hope. It's, again, it comes back to this this culture, um, you know, when, once you're in the door, certain, and, and it's, it, this is what is really irking the staff. And, and, and you know, you, you can imagine above in Leinster House, we are in constant contact uh, with um, uh, members of staff, you know, the the Polcor, the the the, the reporters, RT reporters, you know, they, they, mm. we know them, we, we we meet them regularly, and they, they, there's anger, there, and they're anger angry at the special treatment. This, you know, we all took fifteen percent pay cuts. We had to watch our friends being laid off. We had to, you know, they, they, there's a lot of talk about the freelancers who you regularly see on RTE, but they're actually, you know, they're they're just contractors who get, you know, zero hour, they're zero hour contracts. Zero contracts, and yeah. it's um, it and, and they're having to put up with all this, and then they, 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 all of this special treatment of a single presenter is being e- exposed. Like I'm all for, you, you can't have every presenter on the same um salary. Clearly, some are more in demand than others, uh, but the, this special treatment, this going out of their way to put in place these barter contracts, this underwrite guaranteeing someone's payment, that really flabber, you know, absolutely. Um, it, it is it's hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, that's what's annoying staff. That's what's annoying the public. And you know, I, I've rarely you know, the media committee, Patricia. We meet every week. Usually, we plod on, and no one bats an eyelid at what we do or what's said. The level of attention yesterday was 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 extraordinary. I've never seen the likes of it. And this whole issue is going to make it very hard for RTE to come back to the public purse for extra funding. Yeah, where, where do they go now? Uh. I mean, the 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 the, the, the reality is that. You know, Robert Short, who was the the staff representative on on the committee SCU, I almost felt sorry. For, I so felt like I. he was getting yeah. emotional because because he was he, he was watching this this whole saga just and, and almost RT uh, implode in front of his eyes. This this organisation that he obviously clearly loved, and he was a staff staff representative. But he mentioned something very telling that for the first time, RT's uh, income, basically the income that they survive on. The, the, the revenue generated from TV license for the first time uh, outstripped the revenue generated from commercial and from, from advertising, etc. You know, people aren't, the whole world has changed where people are advertising is going very much digital um, and they're not getting the same uh, the, the same income from the commercial. So, you know, and, and then, so, so actually the, the, the weird reality is RTE are going to be more dependent on public financing and, and state financing. Yes, you know how can they? How can the executive board of, of RT come come to the state now, looking for more funding, looking for um, some things like household charge, essentially household charge to 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 finance public broadcasting? It's a very very difficult conversation that's going to be had. Yeah, and then it's... where do the likes of yourselves, you know, local radio stations, and who you know, have been a, a lot of the work that we do in the media committee is in relation to how we need to support local newspapers and local radio stations who, you know, absolutely a big part of that um, uh, reliable reporting and broadcasting. Where do they fit into all this? I mean, I can imagine representatives from local radio stations right across Ireland looking at this going on. You're you're, you're, you're fighting for every scrap of, 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 of a penny that you can get. And here at RTE abusing um, public finances. It's 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 wrong on every level. Patricia. Okay, so that goes before the public accounts committee. Are you hoping that they will get additional information that you weren't able to glean yesterday, or is it just going to be more of the same? 
Now, I, I think yesterday there was some fantastic questioning, okay? There was there was some really good, well-researched questioning, but I feel in many ways we missed a trick in that there wasn't, um, uh, I suppose, a, a pre-coordinated effort to focus in on certain areas. Like I mentioned the head of commercial there and her knowledge of the invoices, you know, the pushback that was supposed to be there against the Director General in this approach. So someone clearly knew something. There was great questioning, and I think what it's done is it's it's kind of slightly prized open a door to getting further information. Obviously, uh, the Director General D. Forbes couldn't attend due to ill health and, and, and you know, really um, hope she's okay and, and, and recovers. And at some point in the future, maybe we'll be able to come in front of the committee. But there certainly has been a, 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 a gap opened for the PAC who are far, far more accustomed to this kind of grilling and this, mm. this line of, of forensic questioning. Um, there's an opportunity in them to, to develop on a lot of these. And I'm sure the TDs and senators have spent the night uh, you know, studying footage from yesterday and saying, "Okay, okay, this is it. because we need more answers. Okay. Everyone needs clarity." We'll uh, we'll wait with bated breath for this afternoon, uh, Christopher. In the meantime, thank you for that, and thanks for joining thank us you. on the program. Good morning to you. That is West Cork Joel Deputy Christopher Sullivan, who is a member of the Joint Eroxis Committee for Media. More than a quarter of heart failure patients say they feel abandoned when they are discharged from a hospital, and that's according to a survey by the Irish Heart Foundation. And they're calling for a national heart failure register. To share her story, Pauline O'Shea from Galway joins me and Pauline was diagnosed with heart failure 11 years ago. Good morning to you, Pauline. Good morning. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. At what at what age did you suffer heart failure? Um, well, I was diagnosed with heart failure when I was 38 and it was following the birth of my third baby, uh, which wasn't exactly what I was expecting, you know, yeah. Um we read, you know, pregnancy is a time of sort of newness and life and to um, end up with heart failure in the aftermath uh, was devastating. Um, and yeah, like I was, it was a bit of a complicated scenario where an artery in my heart tore, um, but it was misdiagnosed repeatedly. So that's why I ended up with heart failure because the the, the heart was deprived of oxygen um, and that's what heart failure is as opposed to, you know, a heart attack, which is a blockage of an artery or something. And had there been any warning signs? In, well, in my case, uh, the original issue is called SCAD, spontaneous coronary artery dissection. There's no warning with that. That's just where an artery can tear and it's probably genetic in as to why that happens. Um, as regards the heart failure itself, had I been diagnosed on time, there's a fair chance I wouldn't have gone into that. Typically, though, for patients who do have heart failure, there can be symptoms um, because you can you can get heart failure for a number of reasons. Um, it could be, you know, like that, inherited conditions sometimes um, or maybe just the stage of life that you're in. Mm. Uh, but typically the signs would be what we associate sometimes with getting a bit older, which can kind of mask it, um, but it would be, you know, maybe extra tired, um, maybe feeling a bit more breathless than you once upon a time did. Um, and the best thing if you're if you're in that zone, I suppose, is there's a there's a blood test now you can get at uh, your local GPs, which is called a BNP, um, and that can assess the enzymes in your in your blood and actually give you a gauge as to whether or not 
you're showing signs of having heart failure. And explain when the Irish Heart Foundation uh, say that people feel abandoned when they're Mm. discharged from hospital. Talk me through how you felt. Well, I have to say I got great hospital care uh, when I eventually was diagnosed uh, right and I had to have open heart surgery and lots more. That isn't the normal run of the mill for heart failure patients, but in my case, I, I needed it. So I got great care, um, but, you know, on discharge, you're given a prescription um, and, you know, everybody says, mind yourself now when you go home. And I went home and I, I had a newborn. I had uh, two other children aged seven and nine. Um, and really, the day I left the hospital was the first day of real life. And real life with heart failure Number one, they had put a defibrillator into my body. Uh, it's called an ICD. Um, there's just a realisation that you could die um, as a result of something that's, that's happening inside of you. And it takes a long time to cope with the psychological impact of it. And of mm. course, when you go home, um, you're obviously delighted that you're home. But it's only then that the real psychological impact starts to hit and there were just no services whatsoever. Was, it, was there cardiac rehabilitation for example? Um, I was offered cardiac rehabilitation about six months later. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't any psychological component to that so that purely concentrated on physical effort and energy um, and that's an important aspect of recovery. I, I'm not going to say it isn't but the actual process of coping with this in my life, like this is affecting my ability to be a mom because I just didn't have the same energy. Um, and I was always worried about dying. Like yeah. And, and, and I just can't get over, you know, I, at 38, like you're a young woman with a young family and to be living with that going through your head, thinking I'll, I'll end up leaving my children, they'll be, right. they won't have a mother. I could just imagine that would just wreck your, your it, absolutely it, yeah. wreck, wreck, wreck your head. And it's just, it's, it's like it's not recognised. It's like your body has survived heart failure. So, you know, good luck to you now. On you go with good life. Good luck to you now, yeah. yeah. Very much so. And what I, what I think this survey really highlights, which is important, is that with um, Irish population now, the prevalence rate they reckon for heart failure is 1% of the population 65 and under. That would be about 34,000 people. Um, people. 64 and under. Uh, sorry, 65 and under. Now, that's not to say it's not impactful for people over 65, mm. and I, I wouldn't want in any way to suggest it isn't. But regardless, we, when you know that your heart could stop because of a condition, and we know that a third of those who were diagnosed die within five years. You know, it's very, very hard to process that and to live normal. And on top of the lack of psychological support, it it sort of affects everything in your life. Like, I had to give up my business. So we went from a two-income household, um, at, in, you know, when I was in my 30s, to a one-income with three children and a mortgage. And, you know, again, there was nothing there because we were self-employed at the time. We weren't entitled to anything. I was surprised, for example, uh, Pauline, to hear that you weren't entitled to a medical card. Yeah, so the bottom line is, at that stage for me, because we were self-employed, that was a kind of a no-no when it came to any kind of government support. Um, And also, the, the way the medical card system works in Ireland, 
um, there was a preset list of conditions for what they call a long-term long-term illness uh, benefit card. Hard, yeah. And heart failure isn't on it, uh, which is really quite shocking considering that, you know, this condition affects 90 to 100,000 people in Ireland. If you happen to be 70 plus with the condition, you'll automatically be getting a medical card because of your age. But not but, because of your condition. But not because of your condition. <sighs> it's bizarre. So that, that's very troubling. And, you know, we all know as well that people are trying to work longer in life. Mm. Um, so there's a lot in the 66 to 69 bracket as well who wouldn't have pension cover. Um, and there's but another, I think, you know, ten to 15,000 there on top of the 34,000 I mentioned earlier. So, you know, some of them do by qualify for a medical card. But, but not 40, everybody. No, but not 40% everyone. don't. And no, um, no. Pauline, 11 years on, what is life like for you today? How are you doing? Well, I'm still vertical anyway. That's, right. that's, that's <laughs> the first thing. Um, so, what? look, I've had to learn a lot. I, I try to battle heart failure. I try to eliminate it. I try to pretend it wasn't there. I went through... As I often say, it's like the five stages of grief. You know, I went through the fear and the terror, and then I went through the the, de- the depression and the anxiety and all of that. Um, but I needed professional help at the end of the day. I needed to go to counselling. I needed to try and get my head around it. Um, and I would also say, you know, this condition affects families. And, and for my three kids, I was always trying to show healthy mom as best I could because I knew they were anxious too. Yeah. Um but you know that that means that you don't really turn to family to to talk sometimes because you're worried that you're going to worry them more. So that's another reason why I think it's so important with psychological help of people diagnosed with a lifelong condition like that or a life limiting condition it's so important yeah they do need the support it's a great campaign on behalf yeah. of the Irish Heart Foundation before we let you go Pauline I'm told while you're in Galway there's a bit of a West Cork connection oh yeah now actually I was going to correct you but I, I thought I wouldn't go on so I, I have a complicated I'm a Kerry girl okay in County Clare with a dad from West Cork <laughs> from, from Inneskeen and I I I'm very proud of my Cork uh, heritage. I always say I'm half Cork, so be careful okay. when anybody starts saying anything. And, and when you get a Cork and a Kerry combination, it's always great when there's a football match. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you can't lose in my game. I, I feel like there's, you know, I'm going to win either way. And now I live in Clare, okay. uh, but I'm very close to the Limerick border. And likewise with the hurling, you know, there's a kind of... Um, the, the, one side always kind of seems to be there. So, um, yeah, it's handy out to have a good few, a good few Munster counties. Well, listen, it was fantastic to talk to you. Continue good, you. good health to you, can uh, Pauline. Patricia, can I just say one more thing? Please? Yeah. Uh, for anybody that's listening today, right, uh, who has been diagnosed with heart failure or who lives with it, you know, there's the Irish Heart Foundation now are offering six free sessions of counselling they're offering a lot of support as regards your economic entitlements and all of that. And could I just give a number to them? To yes, anybody you can, yeah, yeah. So it's the number to call uh, is 01668-5001. And also to say, as well as that, all that kind of support, that heart failure, as a heart failure patient, it, it feels like a life sentence. It feels like a guillotine is over your head. But therapies and medication have really improved 
and it's possible to get many, many years post-diagnosis. So just to give a little bit of hope to anybody. Well done. We'll, en- we'll end on that wonderful positive note, uh, Pauline. Thank you for that. Thank and thanks you. for joining us uh, this morning. Good morning to you. That is uh, uh, Pauline uh, O'Shea, originally a Kerry woman, West Cork Connection, living in Clare uh, now. Um, and she is a, uh, she recovered from heart failure, which she at, at the very young age of just uh, 38. A texter has been on to say, morning Patricia, do you know is it possible to call into the the motor car tax office in person to renew your car tax. I'm not a techie person. I don't like doing anything online. Thanking you. You can, you can, you can, you can call in, but you need to book an appointment first. Appointments are available uh, Monday to Friday from quarter past nine until quarter to four. Uh, now, you can book it online, but if you're not a techie person, you don't want to book it online. Uh, uh, you can book by calling them 021 4544566. That's 021 4544566. So they do allow you to go in in person, but it is important that you book your appointment uh, first and anyone that we've heard of that we've had that we sent that way all talk about the staff and they're incredible and once you book your appointment you're in and out very very quickly so there's no delays remember the good old-fashioned days when you had to pull a ticket and you had to wait and there was always delays because there was always queues of people obviously this booking system has completely taken away any kind of hold-ups or delays or waiting time because it's by appointment only still huge amount of commentary coming in on RTE and the whole Ryan Tuberty saga. Dan Amato says when Gay Byrne left the Late Late Show, that should have been it. End of. They should have just uh, finished it. And Patty Limerick says another week gone by in the doll for the politicians and nothing done. They are far more disturbing and important issues to be dealt with besides Ryan Tuberty's overinflated wage packet that four or five handle it and get on with it as they know nothing is going to be done about it uh, anyway. Uh, and for all the RTE staff telling us they want uh, the truth, I don't believe them, um, says this uh, texter. We need answers, but I don't think we're going to be getting the right answers. Too much money has been paid by, uh, by a, to RTE by the uh, government, says Pat in Limerick. Dermot is on the line. Uh, good morning to Dermot. Good morning, Patricia. I'm very well, thank you. And you reckon we wouldn't be where we are today and we wouldn't be discussing this at all if Ryan Tuberty had done what? Well, I suppose notwithstanding what RTE did with with the payments, I mean, which is deplorable. And I, first of all, can't see how the minister can have confidence in in the chair of RTE if she wasn't willing to tell her what was actually going on sort of the the week before. But I suppose my point uh, is... um, if Mr. Tuberty had agreed to take his, his wage cut as per his colleagues uh, in RTE, uh, this probably might never have happened. I mean, there wouldn't mm. uh, there wouldn't have been the necessity to hide all this uh, hide all this payment. And I know Noel Kelly, his agent, seems to be quite an act because he seems to be a tough man to deal with. But at the end of the day, that's an agent's job. An agent's job is to go in and to get the best price that he can get for his talent, as as he refers to them as uh, his uh, his clients. But at no stage, what got to me was, did Ryan Tuberty not say to Noel Kelly, look, I'm already on a huge, huge wage packet. You don't need to go in there and negotiate for any kind of secret deals. Exactly. I mean, if you had an agent uh, um, negotiating on your behalf, I mean, you you. you 
be interested to find out how your how your negotiations are going, um, and if uh, if Mr. Tuberty has kind of said to Ten K or Mr. Kelly, look, you know, um, don't 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 go too hard, or you yeah. know, uh, I'm uh, happy with what I'm yeah, getting, yeah, yeah and so, I'm and I'm oh, well paid. Yeah, no, uh, Mr. Tuberty was 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 very quick to come out initially and kind of say, oh, nothing to do with me. Uh, this is an RTE issue. Following day, he sort of retracted and he kind of said, "Look, okay, I should have done this and I should have done that and I should have done the, the whole lot." Now, as, as a transpires now, the fifty uh, percent of of his salary was on a pro rata basis. If you say the license fee is coming out of six um, percent of the revenue with RTE uh, is is derived from um, from the license fee. Mr. Tuberty is uh, going around the country, meeting different communities. These are the people who are probably paying fifty yeah, percent uh, yeah. of his uh, of his uh, of his salary. And uh, if he was um, any, you know, I, I can't see how he can sort of, uh, you know, retain his his, uh, his standing within the communities if people uh, realise this. And uh, if uh, if he was to save any bit of face, I mean, he should. Uh, turn around now and donate that money to charity, to a children's charity, you know, because, uh, you know, his principles and philosophies are sort of, um, you know, okay, children uh, are, are important. And, uh, you know, it's, it's um, the whole thing is, uh, uh, I don't know, his, um, uh, he's, there's a certain uh, hypocritical element of it in the sense that he's going, you know. Yeah, and the time, the, you know, that it was 2020 when they were negotiating this, I mean, there was... Families, uh, you know, struggling, yeah. uh, you know, we had COVID, people were losing their jobs, people were being furloughed. You know, it was a very, very difficult time. And he was already, I, I keep going back to, without the 75,000 on top, he yeah. was already on over 400,000. It brought it up to uh, over half a million. No, who needs yeah. a half a million euro to live? You know what I mean? I just, I, I really, I can't uh, understand it. Um, uh, okay. Well, the figures, I mean, the figures initially were that he was on some like seven or eight hundred, seven hundred and fifty thousand. Well, that was back in the day, yeah, back, back, in, back, the, in, the day. <laughs> back like, in the glory he's, days. He's, he's there. He's there. Sort of uh, his agent is negotiating. Uh, you know, hard, hard ball with RT and uh, and Ryan sees. Uh, no, you know, he's a self-employed uh, contractor or whatever. But he he is seeing the likes of uh, of some of his colleagues being left go, and uh, mm-hmm. and you know, when, when we hear the stories of people not able to sort of. Uh, get money for a stapler or a chair or a desk or you know it's that is ridiculous and they're all they're all the people they're all the researchers you know the program assistants who as somebody within RT said they do all the work to make him look good and they do you know yeah of course and like and I suppose the the hypocritical side of things as well like all these presenters at the end of each program and the same as yourself they thank all the producers and their researchers and they thank this, that and the other thing. And then they turn around and they kind of, they don't have any sympathy when they're uh, being fired out the door. Yeah, yeah. All right, do you think he should be brought in before the PSC and ask the questions on the basis that he knows the uh, the other half of the, uh, uh, whether he comes in himself or with Mr. Kelly, but he should have the answers to a lot of the questions yeah. that are uh, well, be asked. Of, the, uh, of that the, simple the question, why did, why did he look for so much uh, money and why did he decide to hide it? Because he knew he knew the figure was wrong when it got published in the paper every every uh, year. So he was hiding it. He was hiding it as well. Very finally, is it the end of his career? Well, I don't see how he can come back and, and face the people uh, knowing what, uh, what's gone on uh, at this stage. I mean, 
he had been held in, in very high regard and you know, it was the late show and uh, the Thai show etc etc and uh, I mean on, on, I don't think he can come back in and uh, and face the people without doing some sacrifice as regards as I said uh, donating some of the uh, the money or all the money uh, whatever he got nest of tax or whatever to a uh, so, uh, children's charity that yeah. will probably save him some grace this is going to be hard uh, alright okay and then. I think on, on the late date I think what they should do with the late date is is give it to somebody uh, for a three or a five year uh, contract and uh, turn it around after five years give it to somebody else okay well we'll see how Patrick Keith uh, gets on how yeah, long he lasts sorry. listen Dermot thank you for that have a good no day problem. and thank uh, thanks Bye. for joining us Maraid in Mallow says how cruel can people be to one a person how quick people are to run somebody down so fast I did make that point earlier on in the week hero to zero very very uh, quickly Maraid says what happened is not right but still there's a bigger picture here and people also need to look at RTE too. I think the TDs are going around with a halo over their heads but how truthful are all of they when it comes to their expenses. Nancy in Bantry says the government are not going to sack anyone as the government are making big money themselves. They think OAPs can live on the state pension and survive. Cost of living is affecting everyone and then totting up what the RTE people are receiving. I mean, says Nancy in Bantry. Claire Byrne admitting that she got €25,000 extra to do that television quiz show. I think a lot of people's draw jaw dropped, I have to say, on that uh, particular one. OK, and just quickly, some of your... Uh, WhatsApps uh, coming in. Uh, Patricia, maybe it's time for the top executives to come out and disclose what they are earning. They have admitted that they weren't involved in any negotiations regarding the top presenter. This admission has virtually made them all obsolete if only one person has been held responsible for all the negotiations. Get rid of them all and start again. That's actually, that's quite a valid point. If they were all saying nothing to do with us, nothing to do with us, it was the DG so do we only need a Director General and uh, nobody else. As to how much they earn. I'm, I'm sure it's probably public knowledge how much they earn if we check the uh, accounts and I would take it because it is public service broadcasting. They are on the same level as the higher civil servants. I'm, I'm open to correction but I imagine that that's uh, what they're, they're well paid. You can be guaranteed that they are on high uh, high salaries for sure. Somebody else says, how are these people still employed in RTE if they were admitting yesterday that they literally didn't know what was going on? Fimber says, Patricia, my God, have these people on the executive board, have they any morals? People have gone to jail for not paying a TV licence or have been hauled before the courts and uh, fined. What are we paying a TV licence for? In order to pay these presenters massive amounts of money, it is so wrong and then they go into the Oireachtas committee yesterday and Fimber feels they withhold all of the truth. Thank you for that Fimber and I did mention yesterday I spoke about the TV licence because people were talking about what would happen if you didn't pay your TV licence and I said be careful you could end up in court because so far this year over 3,500 people up to the end of May have been before the courts for not paying their uh, TV licence and the Department of Media were, uh, were advised by Ampost 
who are responsible for the TV uh, license they, they got they got the actual uh, figure there was over 5,000 uh, summonses were issued but obviously when the summons was issued I take it people paid the TV license and they didn't end up in the courts then but 3,500 did but on post um, gave out figures saying that 43% of the TV licence database is actually made up of free TV licence. It's 830,000 households are entitled to a free TV licence. And that then led to somebody yesterday saying, when do you get a free TV licence? And I said, I thought it was at the age of 70. And somebody said, yeah, it's uh, when you're 70 or over, you're entitled to a TV licence. That led to a couple of other people saying, no, 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 I'm under 70 and I'm getting a a free TV licence. So I checked it out this morning before I came on air and we were correct. If you're over 70, you get a TV licence as part of the household benefits package. But some people under 70 may also qualify for the household benefits uh, package. And therefore, if you're under 70 and you qualify for the household benefits package, then you are entitled to a free TV licence. But it, uh, it, generally speaking, it's people over 70. But you can if you are eligible. And I'm not going through the criteria for the household benefits package because there's a huge amount of people that uh, may be entitled to that. But check it out. If you think you are entitled to the household benefits package, then you will be entitled to your free TV licence. 0818 103 103. Lines open. C103 Jobs. Customer support agents are wanted for Arme Connect in Blackpool. CVs to human resources at armaconnect.com. Convira in Fernand's looking for a part-time nurse. Catherine, you contacted 87 A teleporter driver is wanted for a construction company in Carrick Tool. Long-term work for the right candidate. Safe pass and CSCS card essential. Call 086-048-5589. And the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow, they've got a vacancy for a full-time receptionist. CVs, please, for the attention of Tracy to info at hibernianhotelmallow.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. Now the Department of Finance is looking at ways to maintain access to cash payments with the hope that new laws will be developed to ensure that customers will always be allowed to pay with cash if that is their choice. Michael Kilcoyne is chair of the Consumers Association and Michael joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning to you. Uh, Do you believe it is important to preserve the use of cash in society? Well, I think absolutely it is because um, cash is legal tender in accordance with the law and if you go to pay somebody by cash uh, and they refuse it, then in my view, they're refusing to accept um, the settlement of their account or refusing to accept um, the way that you want to pay them, which is in cash, um, which is legal tender and which the law says you can do. Now, we we know that there are a number of of stores and different outlets that uh, uh, want to use um, total electronic means of payment and don't want to handle cash at all. It, you will receive, you will recall that 
last year, early last year, uh, I think um, Allied Irish Banks tried to remove some ATM machines so that people wouldn't be able to get cash at all. There that was uproar here in Cork up. over that because yes. we, we had a number of AT, ATMs that were going to go and effectively it was le- leaving an area without an ATM. Correct. Uh, but it would appear uh, as if somewhere uh, within the Department of Finance and within the bowels of government, there is an attempt to phase out cash altogether because um, they seem to want to, uh, there's a philosophy somewhere, uh, that they want to totally control and Big Brother wants to know every euro uh, you spend, where you spend it, who you give it to, where you got the euros you have from and so on. Uh, And this is a further method of, uh, I believe, of of controlling controlling the masses out there and the public out there. Uh, And of course, it's this is really this is really serious in that uh, it takes away from you the flexibility you have of using cash. And and I think, to be honest about it, the Department of Finance are are dragging their feet um, on this matter because really all they have to do in my view, is is uh, uh, reinforce the law by saying, look, if somebody offers to pay you cash, you must accept it. Am I right in saying that at the moment, if you go into a business and they clearly have a sign-up saying card only, and then you arrive in with cash, they don't have to accept your cash because they've clearly shown that it is card only? Well, that's a matter of opinion, uh, and I suppose the, the people that test uh, opinions to see whether or not opinions comply by, with the law are the courts. Um, so cash and money is legal tender. So if you go in to pay with actual cash uh, and they refuse it or if they have to sign up, such a sign may be illegal, but it hasn't been tested in the courts. And until such time as it yeah. is tested in the courts... We won't know. We, we won't we, know. We, we, yeah, we, yeah, we simply won't know. And is there also a real danger that if we did head towards a completely cashless uh, society and everything was on your card and tap and go, uh, for etc., would we then be under the control of the banks and they could then start introducing charges every time we used our card and we would have no choice. Well, you can be certain that down the road they will um, charge you for using your cards. At the moment, if you tap your card, um, such a transaction is free, but there is no guarantee that it will be free into the future. Yeah. But, but what about um, um, Mr. Hacker that's based in the middle of uh, God knows where and he decides to take to hack a whole lot of these systems? What's going to happen like? And that's um, what worries some people, isn't it, about doing everything, everything yeah, electronically. And it's, it's, it's a very reasonable worry for people to have. So somebody takes control of their accounts, how long are they going to be out of action? Going to have no money to buy their milk or their bread or their bit of food or pay for a taxi or pay for whatever. We are heading into dangerous ground, in my view. 
Yeah, and, and we, we know and we also know that technology can leave us down. We saw it, wasn't it, last year in the Aviva Stadium when that big American football game was on and all the Americans were over and the broadband just for some reason went down and Correct. it was it was card only. And they had to give all the food and drink out free. The Americans thought it was fantastic. Yeah. But they, they but they had no other choice. You know, these people had paid to come into this game. The game was on for a long time. Part of your experience is having something to eat and a few drinks and they don't choice but they to give it out free so so technology can let people down and then uh, Michael there will always be people in society who will only want to deal in cash I mean it's it's fair to say that absolutely and and it shows totally total disregard for people who uh, like to do um, their business the way they always done it older people and um, maybe sometimes not so old people. So if you meet your 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 niece or your nephew or your grandchild down the street, um, and you want to give them uh, a fiver or a tenner or whatever uh, to get something for themselves in the in in, in the shop that you're outside. What are we? How, yeah. how are you going to do it? Like yeah, yeah. It's a simple one, but it's an important one. It is. Yeah. It is. Our, 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 uh, you're given uh, a, a gift have a few pounds to your new nephew or niece that's after being born. What do you do? Put in a little card, a credit card, like, is it? <laughs> Martin wants to know, does Michael worry with more banks closing down, rural areas could lose out by not having an ATM machine? Yes, well, there is no doubt about it. That that, that idea just didn't come up from, from uh, AIB at the time when they were taking out the... Uh, ATM machines, they were probably the guinea pigs in a way, uh, trying it out and uh, all the rest would have followed if they had got away with it. Um, so, I mean, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be part of Europe, we're supposed to have a huge trading block, we're supposed to have access to all the services all over the European Union. Yet we have only two banks in this, in in, in this country and, and, well, three, and, and um, there is no real competition. Yeah, and I know the EU is getting involved in this. I mean, they're uh, publishing a package of reforms uh, this week and among them are measures that are going to preserve uh, the rollout of uh, cash. And, you know, they're talking about, you know, essential retailers, things like pharmacies could be forced. They would have to accept uh, cash payments. And seemingly under these new EU laws, which would be directly applicable in Irish law once adopted, the Commission could order the government to ensure banks in certain regions maintain a level of ATMs, our post offices, our news agents offer cash as services. So it isn't just an issue that's affecting Ireland, it's affecting other EU countries as well. As well, yeah. 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 We're great for implementing uh, things that, that uh, the European Union uh, send us. So let's see how long it will take government to implement this, which is a clear benefit to consumers. Okay, and we do know that the Finance Minister, uh, Michael McGrath, his access to cash law, he's promised to introduce that next year, so we've got a wait on that. Listen, Michael, when I have you on from the Consumers Association, just on, on a different topic, are, are, you seeing, are you seeing any easing for consumers when it comes to the cost of living? For example, are supermarkets doing enough uh, to reduce prices? Well, that's, I don't believe they do, and I don't believe that the government and the minister in charge is doing enough either. He has never said to these guys in the supermarkets, I want to see your figures of your turnover. I want to see the figures that you're buying product in it. I want to see what your markup is. I want to see what your profits are. Because 
many of these supermarkets that operate here um, don't show the figures for the profits they make in Ireland. They just show uh, figures in accounts registered in other countries, um, but they don't show it for here. Therefore, we don't know what they're really making. We don't know what margin they have in product uh, and so on. And the government needs to be asking for that kind of information and, if necessary, direct them to give that kind of information. Yeah, because people still are really, particularly people on fixed incomes, they really are struggling at the moment. And of course, the, the, the electricity Between bills are coming in without the without the government credit on it. So there's big bills arriving as well. Yeah, there's the, electri- the energy bills. There's also the huge rent that many people are paying. Um, and I don't know how people on fixed incomes survive. I just don't know. They must have many sleepless nights. Okay. Listen, uh, Michael, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. That is Michael uh, Kilcoyne, who is chair of the Consumer Association on that initial topic about access to cash payments, because there will always be people who will only want to uh, deal in cash. Now, is it going forward? Because certainly the younger generation are all about electronic uh, payments. So is it something into the future? We will see an end to cash. It will be no more. Now, our promise is to be a very exciting event will be held in Clonakilty next Saturday when the South of Ireland Band Championships will be held. To preview this year's championships, I'm joined by the chair of the organising committee and that is Ger O'Driscoll. Good morning to you, Ger. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. 42nd year of the event. Talk to me about how this event has grown over the years. Well, it's the 41st the 42nd year of a competition but it's actually 44 years in existence. We had two years online during COVID. We did a virtual um, performance of all the bands who would like to um, who contributed down through the years. I remember it, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we'd say the, the band championships has progressed. We'd say we've gone international over the years. We had bands from Washington. We did have a band from Scotland who wanted to come to us this year but unfortunately they couldn't get the funding to come. Uh, to travel over, as you can imagine, it's an expensive um, tour for them to come to Ireland. But hopefully next year we might have a band from from Glasgow taking part. But there is huge interest every year in this competition from uh, nationally and internationally. But we're maxed out at about 28 bands, which we have this year. We have 14 bands in the intermediate section. We have four in the junior section and we have 10 in the senior section. So it's a full day of musical extravaganza, I suppose you could say, and um, it's taking place in two venues in the town. That's a, that's a lot of bands. And on average, how many people would be in each band? You would have an average an average of about 30 people per oh, band. That's a so, lot. It is a lot. Yeah, they're big some bands. Band, yeah, one band has 75, uh, some bands have 50, others might have only 20, but if you average it out and say 30 to 35. Okay, so 28 bands in uh, total. Where Talk to me about the competitions and where are they held? Okay, the intermediate competition will be held at Clannacilty Community College. Adjacent to that is the Clannacilty Community Hall, where the junior and the senior competition will take place. So we'll have 14 in each venue, and hopefully everything it will start at 9.30 a.m. in the morning, We have an adjudicator for the intermediate section, which will be Mr. Christopher Bond, who is coming from the UK. 
And for the junior and the senior sections, we have Mr. John Doyle, also coming from the UK. These these adjudicators are affiliated to the to the board of adjudicators in in the UK, so they're very highly accomplished um, people at what they do. And are the bands allowed to play whatever they want to play, or how do, how's the music selected? The bands have to play a march. That's one of the things, Patricia. That's on the we'd say the rules of the thing. Does when we started this festival all those years ago, people love to hear a march, especially a military march, because people associate brass and military bands with marches. So that's one of the stipulations. We, we, we say a march must be included in your repertoire. After that, it's kind of open season. It can be rock and roll, <laughs> classical, a bit of jazz, everything. So it's varied. So how long, uh, if from the competition point of view, how long do they play for then? 15 minutes 15, is the playing okay. time. Okay. And then you have a setting up time of maybe 10 minutes and five minutes maybe just to remove your your instruments and things off the stage for the next band to come up. Yeah, so I'm just thinking with, yeah. you know, with as you say, with big, on average 30, but you could have, you know, a, a band with over 70. The logistics of moving, okay, <laughs> one in, one out, you're done, out, move, get the next band yep. in. Does that all run smoothly? Uh, if I said yes, <laughs> I might be lying. <laughs> but we try to make it run as smoothly as possible. We have excellent stewards on the day. We have people who volunteer on the day who are so used to it that we try to make it as, as you would say, as as, um, as fluent as possible, people in and out, and we keep it going in a one-way system. And are people allowed into the competition to watch it, or is that closed no. off? No, it's there's you can provided the band starts. If you're inside before that band starts, you can listen to them. Okay. Obviously, we allow no one in during them performing because that can be very. Um, a big disturbance to anyone performing. So, yes, of course, it's open to the public and it's hugely supported every year from all over Ireland. I imagine the other bands yeah. will want to hear what their competition is like as well. They do. <laughs> and they come in. They do. They come in and they, they listen and things, which is yeah. great. Yeah, it it's is great. competition after all. And is standard is a, very high? It is. But this year, we have 10 in the senior section and it's great to see the junior bands, number one, coming, looking at the bigger picture, seeing how they can they can progress in music by listening to intermediate bands and senior bands. And we have had people who've gone on to make careers in music just from this competition down through the years because it's been inspirational to their, their future in music. It's brilliant. It really uh-huh. is brilliant. And then outside yep. of competitions, because from the band's point of view, you know, they, they want to do well in the competition. You, 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 the, many of them will also perform on the streets. This is what I love about this particular day. Yes. Most of the bands, I have 18 of them performing on the street on the day, which will go down and in conjunction with the Old Time Fair because there's so much going on in Clannacilty Saturday and over this weekend that the Old Time Fair are on Saturday, just the streets are closed off. The bands will be performing at three different venues throughout the town and that's that's a fun performance they can just go down and unwind after the competition as they say and play at three different venues throughout the town and then when are the winners announced between we would say I reckon this year at half a six again with all the time the timekeeping going to precision timekeeping I'd say 6.30 6 to 6.30 that's when the, the winners in each category would be announced in, in the community hall I'd say there isn't a bed to be got in in Clan, because I'm, I'm assuming a lot will stay over. 
they do, and it's becoming a huge problem, actually, with the bends that are travelling, for example. We have five bends coming from Dublin, and it's some of them cannot get accommodation, but because they love this competition, they'll travel down early morning and head back ah. on the day. And it's... It's, it's a pity, you know, isn't it? And th- and that listen, that's just not an issue for Clan. That's an issue all over that, that that has to get sorted out. It does, it does. But again, I stay out of that totally. Yeah. As I do, I just encourage bands to book early on as much as they can for B and B's local, the local villages and towns for B and B's and hotels. Every place is full. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's great for the town, and it's great for the businesses, and you know the other businesses that that will benefit. And the old time fair, I, I have great memories of the old time fair uh, over the years. Jer, uh, that in itself is a great experience. Oh, it's, it's fabulous! From twelve noon, the old time fair begins, and there's a there is a, a program up on the actual South of Ireland Band Championship website. It shows the different things that are happening. On the day, the all-time fair begins at 12 noon. It then, and, and at 4.30, then there's a vintage-style parade that's from Faxbridge, which is by Super Value, right through the town with all the vintage tractors and all this type of thing. So it's a real spectacle, along with the bands performing. So there's, there's plenty going on, as they say. Let's and, keep our fingers crossed that the sun uh, will be shining, because that kind oh, of adds I, to it. That's it. Yeah. And by the way, the library as well, which is very good, the, the Clannacilty Library yeah. will be hosting a children's event. And if the, and if anyone who's down for the day and if just if there was an odd shower, they could go into the library or contact the Clannacilty Library. It's free the events that are going on in there. And again, that's on the programme. So again, it's something that's, it's, there's so much going on. Okay. So All right. It's fantastic. Are you looking forward to it? Are you, are you, a lot of work goes into to putting an event like this together, uh, Ger, but I, are you looking forward to the day? I am. Yeah. Once, it, once the whistle goes in the morning, I love it. Okay. Music is my thing as well, and I just love it. And when everyone turns up safely and enjoys the day and go home safely, that's just, it's a treat then, when everything goes well. What is your musical instrument of choice? Well, I'm a cornet player myself. Okay. Trump, it's, like, it's like a trumpet. Yeah. Um, that's what I play myself, and I would be playing with the Tlannacilty Brass Band myself this year but unfortunately I can be in two places at the one time <laughs> so I'm well represented my daughter's playing in the band and they have a full compliment in their band so they're they're well they're well versed at this stage Okay well we wish luck to all of the bands uh, taking part and to everybody going along it's going to be a fabulous uh, day out this coming Sunday which is of course the 1st of July Clonakilty the place to be for the South of Ireland Band uh, Championships uh, Ger O'Driscoll the, of the Organising Committee a real pleasure to speak with you thank you for that and have a wonderful wonderful weekend Thank you Patricia Tomorrow for our hours to protect we run this on a Friday on the programme at about 11.40 in this week's feature uh, Joanna Duke Patty for Good Day Cork will talk to us about an upcoming Zin project which aims to discuss diverse stories from nature. Looking forward to that. That will be at about uh, 11.40 tomorrow. As promised, we have two pairs of tickets to give away to Anne Gilday. How to get the menopause and enjoy it. Anne is bringing her very, very funny play to the Everyman on Saturday, July the uh, 8th. Now, we need you, if you would like to win these tickets and go along for a fun night out, we need you to answer a simple question and text it in along with your name and address. So what do the letters HRT 
stand for? What do the letters HRT stand for? If you know the answer to that and you'd like to go along to Anne Gilday's How to Get the Menopause and Enjoy It, a very funny night out, get texting and WhatsApping now, please, 0862 103 103. So you text the answer along with your name and address and you're in with a chance of going along to see Anne's fabulous hit show when it comes uh, to Cork. It's been packing in hot women and I'm told some interesting fellows as well and says there's a smattering of men in the audience which she lo- always loves uh, to see and it's been sell out since I think it launched last year and wherever I've read numerous reviews about it and everybody comes away from it saying I would go back and watch that again it really is a, f- a funny funny play Anne Gilday, How to Get the Menopause and Enjoy It. It's on in the Everyman on the 8th of July. Tickets available at uh, everyman.ie. But two winners, we'll have two winners today. If you can tell us what do the letters HRT stand for? Text or WhatsApp in your answers now, please, to 86 103103. And while we are waiting to select our uh, winners, let me go through some of your calls and comments into the programme. I was speaking with Ger O'Driscoll of the uh, the Southern South of Ireland Band Championships and it's a really special day in Clonakilty happening on Saturday. That's prompted somebody to say, isn't it a pity something like what you've outlined is going to be happening in Clonakilty on Saturday. I would love to see something like that in the town of Mallow or indeed in other towns in Ireland. Once upon a time in Mallow we had wonderful folk festivals. They were great days and nights for everyone, young and old. And Yeah, and I remember the folk festival in uh, Mallow but I also remember the organisers coming in when they made the decision that they were going to have to stop running the folk festival and one of the, the reasons was they had an issue with sponsorship. Businesses weren't coming up with enough sponsorship but one of their bigger issues was trying to get volunteers uh, to help out I mean even listening to Jerry Driscoll talking about the Southern uh, the South of Ireland Band Championships like he was saying the amount of stewards they have you can't run events like this unless you have a huge buy-in from the local community and people willing to give up their day and their time and their efforts in organising the, the event in the lead up but particularly on the day so Clonakilty are lucky there's a really good community spirit there and people are willing to row in but listen that's a problem that's happening in a lot of areas can't get volunteers how often have we put calls out for communities looking for volunteers saying that if they don't get the volunteers you know they won't be able to go ahead with this we've had it with St Patrick's Day parades having to be cancelled because people can't get locals to get involved and volunteer of their time 0818 103 103 I was speaking about cash and how cash is king for a number of people and there could be rules and regulations and we may need legislation in this country to ensure that cash will always be accepted and we have Michael Kilcoyne from the Irish Consumers Association uh, speaking to us about it but that prompted somebody said Patricia could you ask does anybody know what is the protocol for refusing cash notes that are too damaged or are ripped. The reason I ask is I work in a shop and I've had to refuse notes because simply they're too damaged. Some of the people can get very defensive and I'm like, it's too damaged. I can't take it. You're going to have to go to the banks and see if you can swap it out. Do you know? I'm wondering, is there any law on this? Now, while news was on at 12, I was doing a quick look. I can't find any law on it, but I do know that the central bank, they replace uh, damaged notes. And I found, for example, 
piece back in 2014. 20 million euro of damaged bank notes uh, were taken in by the central bank uh, on, in the previous 12 months. And they say that the reason um, 20 million euro worth of 50 euro notes, 20 euro notes, whatever it was, they were ruined either by washing machines also, some of them were ruined in microwaves. I don't know why anyone put, put a, would put a euro into a banknote. Um, but I, I certainly have seen evidence of ones that ended up in a washing machine. And normally if they end up in a washing machine, you can dry them out. But I saw online somebody who put, ended up in the pocket, but something red ran in the washing machine. And the 50 euro note, which is normally brown and kind of a creamy colour, came out pink. Uh, and obviously they had to return that to the central bank. So I know it's the central bank uh, is where you go. I can't find, I know what you're looking for. Is there, a, is there some law that you can quote when you are refusing to take a bank note from somebody? But I can understand why you do it if it is very badly damaged. Uh, but certainly if they go back, the central bank will change and will replace uh, the notes for them. But anybody else in retail, does anybody know of a law that this person could quote uh, when they are refusing to take the currency because they're getting, uh, people are getting quite abusive uh, to this person. Pat says, morning Patricia, all this talk in hot air, this is back to RTE, reminds me of Enda Kenny inside Leinster House moaning about the fact that he was finding it difficult to live on €300,000 a year and at the same time a man was dying outside his window from cold and hunger. We live in a corrupt country, says Pat. Well, yeah, what I don't know if it's corrupt is what you, what the, is the word you'd use, but we, we live in a country of two halves, for sure. We have the, and certainly in recent years, the rich seem to be getting richer well, and that gap between rich and uh, poor, we certainly have a two-tier uh, society. Thank you for your text uh, Pat and then staying on RTE somebody is raising the issue and is wondering will more come out about this and this is to do with competitions that are run on I think they're mainly on TV where they're giving away holidays, uh, for example, and it'll be open over three or four days and you have to text in the, the answer. And it's, you know, it can be 250 to uh, €2.50 per uh, text. Now, I don't know if all of those competitions that you're talking about are directly linked to RTE or not. Certainly when they run competitions, um, for example, on the Late Late Show, and is is it two euro a text? Is it two fifty um, a text? They do make money out of that. I don't know how much money they make out of those uh, competitions, but it certainly is a lot uh, to enter. But somebody's wondering. Uh, that that needs to be looked at. How much money do they make out of those particular competitions? Someone else says, when it comes to D Forbes, D Forbes equals GAA Go. God, we were given out about GAA Go only a few weeks ago, weren't we? The government in RTE, according to this text, are the biggest shower of gangsters. They're worse than the mafia. Uh, this system feels it's time to disband RTE. 50 million euro was what they received in 2019. Yet D Forbes were saying uh, last year that they were li- literally living month to month. She, yeah, I mean, everyone accepts that. She was always going with the begging bowl saying she didn't have enough money to run uh, the company. Uh, they can't lock everybody up, says this texture, if we all refuse to pay our television uh, licence. Well, yeah, they, they, it's how they use the money, I think, is what's going to really have to be looked at in uh, RTE. It's how the money is spent. And I think that's why when the lower paid ones are so annoyed because they are taking pay cuts, there's never any money for them if their equipment breaks down or they need new equipment. Uh, and yet they're seeing the higher up stars, the, the top 10 uh, getting paid 
astronomical sums of money. I did at the Oireachtas yesterday hear them say, is there more than the top 10? Somebody was asking, one of the Oireachtas committee members asked RTE, to produce the top 100 or even to look at who's getting paid over 100,000 because we have a tendency to focus on the top 10 radio and television personalities but there's other people on big money uh, as well so they said they'll come back let's uh, wait and see because I know they were before Rockdus committee about four months ago and one of the TDs yesterday made the point that you know a similar group of people sat before us four months ago promising oh yeah we'll deliver that information and seemingly none of the information that they promised had been delivered so I think they may have to chase them to get information out of them Patricia um, says thank you for your text another text just says Patricia I couldn't care less about RTE and the hullabaloo there are worse things going on in the world than someone being overpaid don't forget those who end up in court for not having a TV licence are ending up in court. Why? Because they're breaking the law. So tough luck on them. Whatever people earn has nothing to do with people who say they can't afford to pay their TV licence. And this is because of the cost of living at crisis. Those people are just moaners. They moan at everything. You can guarantee that what is happening in this country and the people not paying their TV licence are the same people who complain about the Ukrainian people who are, fleed, who are fleeing to this country uh, for their lives and they are, are escaping from a tyrant. Uh, please get over yourselves and that's from Mick in Mallow. Thank you Patricia. And Jim says, can we allow me to have a rant this morning? Jim will always allow you to have a rant. Jim says, listen to this. This kind of ties in with something we spoke about earlier in the weekend to do with lack of GPs. Remember we had Anne Hurley, he joined us on uh, the programme from Charleville and Anne was talking about how her husband and her son had difficulty securing a GP because the GP that they had been with, I think PJ had been with his GP for over 30 years, had retired. And then suddenly there was a difficulty finding a new GP practice that would take on the uh, patients. Well, Jim's wife does have a GP and he said my wife spent two weeks in hospital with a urine infection and a lot of confusion and that does happen when you get a bad urine infection a lot of confusion uh, can go with this Jim for sure anyway she's home thankfully and everything is okay so I expect uh, a visit to discuss with so she wants to go along to her own doctor to have a visit just to check up and to talk about what had happened and all of that. Jim says, I would describe my wife as old school. She prefers to speak to her own doctor and not to speak to any of the other, other young doctors that are in the practice. She finds some of the other young doctors just seem to refer to the computer screen and they don't give her the same level of attention that her own doctor does. Anyway, we rang up to uh, make an appointment accepting that there would be other doctors available but no, my wife is insisting on going to her own GP. We're after getting an appointment for her own doctor. We have to wait until, drum roll here 31st of August. Saturday is the 1st of July, all of July and all of August before Jim's wife gets to see uh, her own uh, doctor and that goes back to when we were talking about trying to get a GP, the ones, the GP practices that are full are bursting to capacity and people are finding it more and more difficult. Now, Jim, I have to say, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody waiting. You're talking two months your wife is going to have to wait. Now, maybe it, maybe her old doctor is going to be away on holidays for a period of time. I can't understand how anyone is waiting two months. I've heard of people waiting a week, 10 days, or if it's routine bloods, you know, it might be two weeks. But I certainly, uh, two months, that's... If anyone can top that, please let us know. And particularly when it's to... 
it's you know a follow up after a hospital and normally that's what they do when, when you're discharged you're told you know check in with your own doctor because usually they give you a letter don't they it's probably electronically done now that it's sent to your own doctor to explain what has happened while you were in a hospital that does seem an excessively long period of time uh, Jim 0818103103 and then we spoke about pensioners and getting the free television licence and I was saying it's for over 70s or anyone that's on the household benefits package that's prompted a texter to say Patricia not all pensioners are poor this sister wants to cite her neighbours my neighbours have so much land and money and they're constantly complaining about the cost of everything and yet they get all the handouts as if they are poor this is simply not right pensioners should be means tested like everybody else for all of their benefits now I don't know how much money your neighbours have and just because they have land it could mean sometimes people are asset rich you could have somebody, uh, an elderly person living in a huge, huge house that could be could be worth over a million. But that doesn't mean that they've got a million in the bank. So, I mean, you know, you say they've loads of money. They mightn't have loads of money. You just could be basing it on the fact that they have a lot of uh, land. But anyway, they're, they're and, and I 100% accept there are pensioners. Not all pensioners are poor. I heard, for example, a pensioner uh, talking on radio about the free television licence. And now he gets the free television licence uh, when he's 70 and even though he's 71 now but he insists on paying for it because he says he can afford to pay it and he likes the service that RTE gives so he's refused his uh, free TV licence and pays for it in, in himself so yes there are but not all pensioners please you know and I know pensioners get very annoyed when they hear that because there are many many pensioners who are struggling OK you can stop texting us on our competition for the Anne Gilday uh, tickets what are the letters HRT stand for hormone replacement therapy and our winners are two ladies Caitlin Beglin in Riverstown congratulations Caitlin and Ashleen Gale in Blarney they've each won a pair of tickets and they'll be heading to the Everyman Saturday week July the 8th for Angel Days How to Get the Menopause and Enjoy It tickets are available from everyman.ie The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie An exhibition of photography, performance and film will be held uh, tomorrow night, half past six, in the Chapel Hill School of Art. That's in McCroom. Kayleigh sets in the Marion Hall are happening in Ballinhasic tomorrow night. Dancing to Tim, Joe and Anne. And that's from 9.30, admission 10 euro, which includes tea. And Krina Lanov annual commemoration takes place also on Friday, 8pm, remembering the 102nd anniversary this year. The oration will be given by Tim O'Reardon, that's Tim of Natural Gas. Music and refreshments will be served in O'Donovan's Bar in Ballinagree and all are welcome. And Kildallery Hillfest is taking place this year from the 1st to the 8th of July. It starts on Saturday with Cork's fittest superstars in the GAA grounds at 10am. Music in the marquee with Footloose and DJ Denny. On Sunday, there is free entertainment also in the marquee. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Margaret and Ballyclaw has been on to us. She said there is a water leak outside her home um, and she reckons, looking at it, they reckon it's the water meter that, it, that got installed by... Um, 
Irish Water. She reckons it's the water meter is uh, leaking. Uh, she said she knows of another person living close by her in Ballyclaw but the same thing happened a few a few months ago and she has contacted uh, Ishka Aaron to report it and she's waiting for them uh, to come back but she's wondering is it Ishka Aaron come out or is it is it the council well the council are working under Ishka Aaron I'm assuming it's a local council worker that will uh, come out uh, to you and John Paul says just to try to expedite it as well he's getting on to uh, Ishka Aaron Irish Water to uh, see if we can speed that up because we're always told by Irish Water about conserving water and we are being told to report leaks or if it's a leak in your own house to get something done ASAP because we know we have uh, water shortages and that recent dry spell uh, led to water shortages and pressure issues in uh, some areas. Now a couple of people are on uh, reacting to Jim whose wife's just out of hospital. Uh, Now Jim by his own Admission said the wife is old school. There's a, she's in a GP practice where her own doctor is there, but there's other doctors as well. And his wife insists on only going to her own doctor, doesn't want to speak with any of the other doctors. There's younger doctors in there. But because of that and because she's insistent on insisting on only going to one doctor, she has to wait two months for an appointment, which I think is an excessively long uh, period of time. Somebody said, Patricia, I am sure if Jim's wife would agree to see another GP in the same practice, she will be seen much sooner because that's what happens in most uh, cases and most GP practices. Yeah, and and I think Jim is even acknowledging that in, in his text. He says there are other younger doctors, but his wife is old school and says, no, I want to see nobody else but my own uh, doctor. And uh, Frick says, Trish, God be with the days when the doctor would call any time of the day or night. Now all the doctor's waiting rooms are empty, yet you can't see them and they'll deal with you over the phone. It's a disgrace, says uh, Frick. Uh, I mean, I do remember a time when doctors made house calls. Do you remember that? If you said that to somebody today, they'd look at you with 10 heads. Uh, doctors did once upon a time uh, make house calls. Uh, but when you go into Jeep, when you go into the waiting rooms, I think the reason the waiting rooms are not jam packed is I think since COVID times, I think they've structured the appointments so that, you know, you're not waiting as long because there's nothing more frustrating. Frustrating. You have an appointment at two and you're still sitting there at three o'clock. So I think they're getting better at rotating the appointments. But yes, do some GP practices try to see if they can deal with you over the phone? And many times they can. But, you know, I think most people like to go in and sit and speak, actually speak with a uh, doctor. Hi, Patricia. While this RT scandal is shocking, have people forgotten about the FAI and John Delaney? When will that investigation produce results? It's been four years since we first found out about the debts of over 50 million and I've had a book written about it and we've never gotten to the bottom of that but we do seem to take time okay I'll agree with you on that whenever we're trying to get to the bottom of any kind of investigation like that 0818 103 103 I think many of our listeners won't be surprised that one in seven people want to see e-scooters banned in Ireland. It's a new survey out from iReach Insights. They did it on behalf of Aviva and it found 36% of people who were surveyed for this particular report uh, 
thought that the vehicles posed a danger to pedestrians. How often do we hear from people saying I nearly got run over walking out of a shop with an e-scooter flying down the footpath? Now, of course, we do know that new legislation on e-scooters, that's expected to be signed into law in the next few weeks. More people, more women, no, more men than women felt scooters should be fully banned in Ireland and one in four thought that if you want to own an e-scooter, then you should pay tax and you should pay insurance, regardless of the speed capabilities of your scooter. There are legal uncertainties still around e-scooters as they are classified as mechanically propelled vehicles. And if there are mechanically propelled vehicles and people say, well, then they should pay tax and insurance and you should have some kind of a licence. But it is impossible to tax or get a licence for these vehicles as yet because we just don't have the laws. And this is where this new legislation is planning to address it. Aviva say it remains to be seen whether the upcoming rules are workable in practice or if the new law should be tweaked so that no e-scooters are exempt from being licensed, being taxed, and therefore, obviously, you'd have to go and get uh, insurance. Otherwise, the public disquiet around their use is likely to only increase. Aviva say why it is important that they continue to advocate for more sustainable travel choices amongst consumers, particularly in urban areas. It would appear from this particular survey that there is a real lack of consensus among consumers when it comes to e-scooters. Obviously, people who have their own e-scooter or have a family member with an e-scooter totally see the benefits and think they're great and fantastic. You don't need tax insurance and get you from A to B in, you know, quicker than it would walking or cycling. Uh, but it is for people who have had near misses and and of course, motorists worry that if they get involved in an accident with an e-scooter, the person on the e-scooter doesn't have any insurance and people worry that it will fall back on the driver of the car. It's their insurance that it will, people will claim from. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, at some stage last year, I spoke with the Mila Moos from West Cork who described themselves as a group of mothers and others who decided to take up Gaelic football. Well, it seems there's a similar group in Mid-Cork. They play under the banner of the Dunamore Diamonds. And joining me, the lady who set it all up, that is Louise Barrett. Good afternoon to you, Louise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. I suppose take me back and tell me when and why did you decide to set up the Dunamore Diamonds, which is a great name, can I say? (laughs) Thank you very much. We were recently uh, christened there, I think, about uh, maybe about a week ago. Okay. So it's it's a brand new name. So we're we're trying to get used to it ourselves. But it definitely sums us up as um, we're a very, very talented bunch both on the field and off the field. And uh, we're definitely um, very easy to be polished as well as a diamond. <laughs> now, now I, I'm told it was back in 2020 you came up with the idea, but that would have been COVID times, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We started it again, started, but it was more of a, a stop than a start. But we decided to, well, I, I saw this bunch of women, a lot, a lot of uh, bunches of women in Mallow in 2019. It was a Munster Blitz. I think there was 48 teams there at the time. And they were having loads of cracking, loads of fun. And you know what? I said, I'm going to have some of that. So I decided, look, let's try and set it up in, in Dunamore. So we started, as I said, in 2020, but it was more of a stop, start, 
but uh, we're here today in 2023 and we're going really strong. How many members? We have about 30 to 35 oh. members um, uh, yeah, at the moment. Um, we we'd normally have a kind of kind of a 20 to 25 stronghold. We have a few people that, you know, have, you could say, retired or a few people that have kind of uh, gone to uh, maybe different uh, activities. But we've constantly a new uh, influx of uh, people joining us, which is fantastic. And obviously it's you cover it's not just Dunamore. You're, it's the whole Mid-Cork area, is it? Uh, pretty much. I think we have about definitely five to six, I'd say, parishes uh, feeding right. into the Dunamore Diamonds. Um, like we're talking out, uh, reaching out as far as Balnagree, uh, Rylan, uh, Tower, uh, m- maybe even as far as um, as far as Mallow. Okay. So we have uh, we have a good steady steady bunch of um, of, of women coming to us uh, from from all corners of uh, Mid Cork. And without giving away anyone's individual age, what sort of age range are you covering? <laughs> <laughs> Anything from about twenty age ish up to about sixty five plus. I'm not going to. Isn't that you know, brilliant? That, I just Absolutely. think that is brilliant and. Had many or all played Gaelic in their youth? Um, some have played, some have okay. played, but I suppose you could say that you could say that the criteria around, I suppose, joining Gaelic from others and others is it, it's a social football. It's 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 non-competitive. Absolutely no football experience required. But what is essential is you have to have a superb sense of humor. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and 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 to just to call out here, uh, our trainer as well, our coach Barry O'Sullivan, he is fantastic, and how he puts up with us, we don't know. <laughs> but he's but, still with us. He's but, still with but, us. but you do train. I mean, you do take the training as seriously as you possibly can. Yeah, we train on the Thursday, Thursday evening at uh, 7 p.m. in Stuick in, in Dunamore and we have an hour of training and then we have, I think we have a few games. We, we reach out then to, to other clubs that have uh, Gaelic from others and others uh, teams and we have uh, games between us. Like I said, it's non-competitive, uh, like no scores are, are kept or tallied, but I think there's a lot of us kind of keep the scores of course in our you heads do. anyway. Of course you do. <laughs> Everyone does that. Everyone does that. But it's but it's all about getting out. Great way to get fit, Louise. Absolutely, it is. It is. Um, so I think uh, we've kind of the three Fs. So the F, the first F is fun. We have to have loads and loads of fun. And that's what we're about. Football, absolutely. If we can play a bit, if we can learn a bit, 100%. Brilliant, and uh, it is a superb way of getting fit as well. Um, so, uh, but but de- definitely the 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 big one is just to have go out there and have the crack, have the fun. And of course, many of you are are mothers. I what I love about these particular groups, uh, Louise, it's it's fantastic for your children to see. Look what what mom is getting involved involved in. I mean, we're yeah. always struggling to keep young people, particularly when they get to their teenage years, to keep them involved in sports. If they see mammy out there running around, it just might encourage them yeah. to stay involved. 
Absolutely, and we see that now at training, and we see that at uh, you know games that we play with with other teams. And it's not just it's not just Mammy on the team; it's Auntie on the team, yeah. it's Nana on the team. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the, the the sisters, it's it's the nieces, it's the nephews, it's the daughters. It's it's a great great family family event. Um, and it is absolutely. I, I I know we have a lot of uh, young girls coming to to Dunamore playing, but it is a great way to see their mammies and their aunts and their nanas going out, and it definitely encourages, um, you could say, boys and girls to to get out there and see see what their um their mammies and their aunts and their nanas are well capable of. And do they come out to cheer you on when when you are playing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they'll be giving us plenty of advice, plenty of advice from the sideline <laughs> and plenty of advice when we come off it um, after the game, what we did do wrong and what we did do right. Oh, brilliant. Just, absolutely. It's fantastic. And there's a lot of uh, these clubs starting to spring up, Louise, isn't there? There is, there is, absolutely. Um, so if I can take an example there, like in 2019, there was 48 teams involved in, in you know, that Munster Blitz. Yeah. We just um, finished a Munster Blitz there, I think it was the start of um, um, June, and um, there was 78 teams involved. That is just outstanding. That's Phenomenal. across Munster. That's just absolutely fantastic. Um, so it 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 is like the the ladies Gaelic football. They I'm not too sure when they started this initiative, but by God, it's grown. It's just it's it's just captured everyone's imagination. I think you know because I think that you know women want to get involved in something, and this is something that you can simply turn up to on your own. You know the way usually with with us when we're going anywhere, oh, I'll ring. Will you come with me? But I imagine this is something you can just go to yourself, and you'll fit in straight away. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. Um, uh, well, well, we we find look, we we have uh, all different. Um, I suppose people from different, you could say, backgrounds, different from different jobs, um, but we all have the exact same mindset. Do you know, it's just going in there, as I said, having a bit of fun, having the crack, playing a bit of ball, and uh, getting getting a bit fit um, along the way as well. So, so you're always open then to, to to new members, Louise. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And as I said, Thursday, Thursday evenings, seven o'clock. If you just want to come up and pop up and have a look and see what we're at, uh, please do. And uh, by all means, you can contact us or you can contact um, the, the, our Facebook page and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you on board gently. <laughs> OK, and do you, do, you, do you hope to play in, in Croke Park? Do you know what? <laughs> Tell me more. That's what it's all about. <laughs> so yes, we're 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 on this uh, hopefully a uh, drive to to get to Croke Park. So it's it's all our uh, final day on the thirteenth of August. So what we're trying to do is that there's exhibition matches on on the, those. Um, p- particular day on that particular day so we have a junior all Ireland final intermediate and senior so there's an opportunity for six teams to, to get on and do an exhibition match so we are trying to be one of those six teams so what we're trying to do it's again it's a kind of a social media drive yeah. so we've created a video and a huge shout out here to um, Neve Casey for, for, for um, driving this um, so what we've we've got a few of our players we, we've we've, we've drummed up a video, made up a video. It's on our Facebook and Instagram page, G4MO, Dunamore Diamonds. Um, so what we're looking for is if if people could like or share or comment on the video and um, 
and hopefully it'll be seen by the, the head honchos in Croke Park and hopefully we'll get our place on the 13th uh, of w- August. It would be fantastic. G- G4MO, Dunhamore Diamonds on Facebook. Dunhamore and Diamonds. I just want people to share it. Share it or comment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That would be fantastic. Um, so, and and again, fingers crossed that was um, like the Mila Moos last yeah, year. Yeah. Fingers crossed that uh, we, we'll get our turn in Croke Let's go from West Cork to Mid Cork this year. Listen, the best of luck with it, Louise. Uh, keep us updated and um, uh, best of luck to everybody involved with the Dunhamore Diamonds. Thank you very much. Can I just give a uh, quick uh, best wishes and uh, get well to our club um, um, president. So he's uh, Mr. John Kelleher from from, from Dunamore. And we just want to give him uh, best wishes and get well soon. Okay, get well wishes to John Kelleher. All right, Louise, thank you. Thanks for that. Patricia, thanks a million. Thanks a million. Bye bye. Bye bye. She is a real diamond herself. That is Louise Barrett of the Dunamore Diamonds. Uh, we wish them well. 0818103103. Just spotted a couple of uh, texts coming in when I mentioned the e scooters and uh, the fact that we're waiting on legislation around the e scooters. But what, what's it going to be? Uh, and will they? Uh, it doesn't look like anyone's going to be forced to uh, get licensed or tax and insurance. And that's what a number of people are calling for. Anthony says these e-scooters can be a dangerous weapon in the wrong hands. Remember, an elderly lady died recently because of one of these vehicles hitting her. There is no law in charge here. And where is our transport minister on this situation? Is it because it suits the green agenda? Because if you have petrol or diesel... if they were petrol or diesel, run by petrol or diesel, it would be a different uh, story. Well, there is, I mean, that is the problem at the moment. There are no laws governing it. That's why they're trying to bring in these laws. But I think they need to bring, the, the laws need to come in uh, quicker for sure. And Audrey says, you're talking about e-scooters. I saw two young children under the age of eight travelling on one scooter. They were going at over 25 kilometres, going down a hill. If anything came out in front of them, one or both of them would have been dead. I think there should be insurance and tax on these e-scooters as they are motor propelled. And another thing that annoys me is bicycles on the road. When there is a bicycle lane there for them, but they don't abide by the rules of the road and the same for them, there should be insurance even on ordinary bicycles out on the roads and that's from Audrey. I was just talking about the Dunamore Diamonds Well, somebody has just pointed out there's also the Grenagators G4MO. They're also hoping to get to Croke Park for the All-Ireland's Ladies Football Final. Please check us out too. So please uh, take a look at the local clubs. It would be great to get uh, some of the local ladies to the All-Ireland final day from the Cork area. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul who produced Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie